Welcome to Real Everyday People, an Eladio Nino podcast. You either die the hero or see yourself become the villain. See too many dark nights and light the way you're living. They got me living. Hey, hey what's up, everybody? This is the El Nino podcast. I'm Eladio Nino, and this is Real Everyday People. I want to welcome everybody to this podcast, and I want to say thank you for all those who are tuned in, who share, who subscribe with us. Thank you. We appreciate it very much. I want to send a big shout-out to my man Rob and his family from Guy's Pizza over there on Dixon Lincoln Park. Man, much love to you and your family. Thank you, bro, for sharing your business, letting me and my family uh, come in there, and we, we were able to make our own pizzas, all the kids, all the family. Like, it was such... A great delightful experience you know and uh making making our own pizza was 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 really amazing and so if you guys are out there uh anywhere in the down river area check it out guys pizza over there on dixon liquor park man check them out so um what's that okay so uh so today we got a guest today um I actually have two guests today. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just been going like that. These past couple of weeks, we've been getting bonus bonus guests. You know what I'm saying? Which is always cool. But, you know, these these uh, two women I work with, man, you know, at the DHDC, um, you know, this that that's a place where, you know, friends become family. Where coworkers become friends and friends You're become right. family. And, you know, I love the work that, that I do. I love the work that we do in general. And, um, you know, it's definitely an honor to be able to work with good people. Yeah. And and who who have the same vision for our community and for the future of our of our society and um, and and everything that we do is is working towards that. So uh, we got Ophelia here with us hey. today. Yes, I am here today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no doubt about it. And um, and we got Sandy with us. Hi, everybody. <laughs> yeah, you. yeah. So um, Ophelia, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? So. Um, I kind of was born in Southwest. I actually was born in Wyandotte, right? Hospitals or whatever. I grew up the first few, four years of my life in Southwest. And then uh, my parents, we moved out to Dearborn Heights. So I grew up out in Dearborn Heights. Okay. For the majority of like my schooling and everything. So, Okay. So tell us a little bit about your parents. Where are they from? So my parents are from, son de Mexico, right? My dad is de Nuevo León, Monterrey, Nuevo León. And my mom is from Noladero, Tamaulipas or Border People. I always think it's funny because like they came from like the the southern border to the northern border. Like I don't know, it's just a joke I had. So, <laughs> but yeah, so my parents are from Mexico, um, but they came and they stayed in Detroit, uh, maybe twenty some years before I was born, and then we moved out to Dearborn Heights. So okay, yeah, all right. What about you, Sandy? You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Where you from? Where you came up? Sure. So my name is Sandy. I was actually born in Querétaro, Querétaro, Mexico. Um, I got to the U.S. when I was eight years old with my family and then just kind of grew up in southwest Detroit. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, we got a lot of roots, a lot of family, a lot of friends, a lot of people, you know, coming from the neighborhood. We do. And, yeah. and, and beyond, you know, after serving all this time and coming home and seeing how the Latino community has expanded throughout Down River. Yeah. You know, shrunk, like like we always had a yeah. nice little population in E-Course, you know. Right. But like just to see River Roots, E-Course, Lincoln Park, Wyandotte, Southgate, <laughs> Taylor, like anywhere you go, you see... You see, right. you know, Rasa, man, and it's, it, and it's good. Yeah. You know, I like to see, um, you know, the diversity, you know, because not every place functions like Michigan, especially like Detroit. You right. know what I'm saying? Because we're a melted pot. We're, you know, we, we when I think one of our biggest assets is diversity, you know, because yeah. with diversity, you learn so many diverse communication skills, social skills. You learn about different people's cultures, you know, and you're able to mesh them and blend them, right, right, right. you know, so, uh, you Detroit, know, that's very colorful. So, oh yeah, absolutely. We have people from all over in Detroit. So that's one of the things I like I love about the city, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, you said you grew up most of your life in Dearborn Heights. What was it like growing I up in did. Dearborn? Heights? So, it was interesting. I didn't I didn't come to these like conclusions until recently, right? From doing the work that we've done um studying uh so I went to to Dearborn Heights uh, school district, and it was mainly a white school district. So it was like one of the only Mexican families like in the in the district at the time. So mm-hmm. without knowing it, I never knew no Mexicans in Dearborn. Right, and so I didn't <laughs> know. <laughs> and right, and so it's the early '90s. So uh, I went through the whole school system, early '90s into 2000s. And until recently, when we look back and talk about education and stuff, I was like, damn, like I actually went through some racism through that school district, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, people might say that it wasn't like that, but yeah, like if you're seeing it through my perspective, yeah, it was. If I'm the only Mexican, you know, girl and and a bunch of kids are like white and things are only happening specifically to me, well, like mm-hmm. I'm gonna say that's a little like racist, right? Well, so, I, I remember how you talked about, um, you know, your name being pronounced funny. Yeah, and... so my name was um, that was one of the big things, right? So my name's Ophelia, and so and it's you know. Uh, I always get it pronounced Ophelia, 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 a bunch of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's spelled incorrectly because in Spanish we don't use the PH, right? Because mm-hmm. I, w- I would be Ophelia, and that's not how mm-hmm. you say my name. And so, like, being made fun of um, growing up, you know, with, with my name. And it took me a long time until I was about a teenager to actually, like, embrace my name. Because um, okay. that, that was the point where I embraced my culture because, I you know, I, I grew up in a white school district. I did have Mexican friends, but, like, that was, like, when we would go to Southwest for, like, catechism mm-hmm. or church or the weekends or whatever. But I have to imagine that you did have some friends. I no, mean, I did. I did. Some friends, no, 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 I did. And, and you know, one of the things that's, it, it, you know, in today's society, you know, you have to be politically correct, you know. For me, it's hard to to be that way or live that way because nothing of my nothing about my life has ever been politically correct. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's just today when we when like when people put that overall blanket statement talking about white people. You know what I'm saying? And we had that conversation. I said, you know, I feel like that's a blanket statement that 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 gives a a, a negative. Um, persona on people who do, who don't who are not racist. You know, there's a lot of white people. Even when I was still in prison, I would watch a lot of the protesting from all the you know the pe- people that were getting killed by the police. And I seen you know just as many white people as there right, were right. blacks and Latinos and anybody else. You know what right. I mean? And um, and you know like for somebody who had a bad experience with a Mexican before, you got robbed, you got carjacked, whatever it may have been. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that person has that resentment against a whole. Culture against a whole nationality because that experience and that's not fair to everybody You know what I'm saying? Because I would hate for somebody to just see me that way and I'm like I'm the person that would have helped you, you know No, right. I have a bunch of friends. We have allies over, you know, times and years that are, you know, great who stand against all this other stuff, you know Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and I had some friends, but I don't know maybe I've had incidents but you know certain comments or like their parents or say certain things, you know But like I said, like it was in the 90s I was a child. I wasn't aware of certain things until mm-hmm. older, until I look back and like analyze certain situations. Yeah. Oh, like absolutely. that was kind of fucked up that they said that. Or that was like, you know, that might have been a little, you know. And that was crazy is because <laughs> at that age, you have to, you know, now that we're older, we can look back and we're all programmed according to how our parents, our peers, you know, our community um, molds us, you right. know, to think and, and to believe. So at that age, to know what racism, biasness, prejudice, or maybe you don't even know. You're just repeating things that you, your parents exactly. hear or your cousins, your right. brothers, things like that. And and so when you when you grow, you know, a little bit older, you've been through life, you see things, the good, the bad, the ugly, and start seeing things for what they are, you start to see the truth, you know, and, right. and how, you know, people breed love and people breed hate. I like to say that um, we're, we're the generation that's breaking the cycles. Right, because now we see, and we're breaking our like our parents' cycles, and we know that our parents went through hard times, and our grandparents for sure, for sure. were not for sure. as you know, and so generations of, of breaking cycles. And I think I always say like, I, I don't use this word often, but we are like the woke generation because we know like, hey, we need therapy. Hey, I'm not gonna be, hold a grudge a grudge against my father anymore because I know he had it worse. And like you know, mm-hmm. um, I the way the ideals were right, and especially if you're like old school Mexicans, like you know, certain things. Machismoism, hardheadedness, like mm-hmm. in situations they they went through, right? So we're breaking we're breaking cycles, and I think uh, now it's like we're everybody we're healing, right? Yeah. And we're starting to realize, and we're healing, and I think hopefully I'm, I'm praying that things will get better for for us. You, you know what I respect and appreciate so much about about the, the the new generation is that you know my generation growing up, all we did was follow suit. We learned how to take orders. We learned how to be obedient. We learned to just take with what we had and what we knew and and, and ran with it and live life according to that. We didn't ask no questions. You know what I'm saying? And we were taught that it's not good to ask questions. (laughs) So now this generation asks all the questions, you know what I'm saying, and demands the answers. And that's the difference that gives this generation so much power. And that's why we're breaking through so many barriers and building so many bridges because we want answers. If we got to go back 100 years, 200 years, or 1,000 years to get the truth, 
You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Like, let's get back on track yes. with humanity. You know what I'm saying? It's not about who's right, who was wrong, or who was first, or who was last. But it's about unity within our community. Yes. And as humans, our we should people. be loving each other, taking care of each other, supporting one another, you know, yes. empowering and educating one another. Yes, you know? always. Yes. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, so I just, you know, I salute everybody, man, who's out there taking taking care of their business. I don't care if you're, you know, hardworking parents, if you're a single mom, if you're a single dad, whatever your situation may be, man, I salute you. You know what I'm saying? You you know, keep doing a good job and keep on moving forward, yeah. you know. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about your mother and then tell us a little bit about your father. So my mother, I like to I like to say my mother is very classy and sometimes she can be a little bougie. So I get that from her. <laughs> Right. Um, I always joke, you know, that song, she's classy and we're bougie and I'm ratchet. Like, this is just a joke. <laughs> um, but she's very proper. Right. I was the only I'm the only daughter. Uh, so I know she always had me um, dress me up since I was little. Right. She called me muñeca. That means doll in Spanish. Like she always tried to doll me up. But I would always like um, mess it up. <laughs> I didn't like being in dresses. And so I didn't appreciate appreciate that. And so I got older. Because you said when you were young, you were tomboy. Yeah, I was right? very, I was big tomboy uh, when I was growing up. So mm. I know now that like, she's more appreciative of that, like, you know, I'll wear my dresses. In the summer, I didn't get to last year so much because of COVID, but mm. hopefully this year we can, um, you know, bust out my wardrobe. So she kind of helped guide you into your feminine side? Of... A little bit, yeah. My mom okay. always, you know, um, she always taught me to, like, to work. So I've been, she put me to work. She, I remember she went to my high school and got my work permit, didn't even ask me if I wanted to, like, just did it and, like, put me to work. Uh, so, I, since I was, like, 13, 14 years old, she taught me what it was to work. Um, and, not, you know, not to, to, to rely on a man. Sorry, everybody. But, you know, she taught me to be independent, uh, to study. And, you know, I put myself through school. And I've always worked, you know, because of, of, of her influence with that. So, yeah. Thanks, mom. That's good. And, and and that is carried on into yes. your life today. Yes, of course. Yeah. So what are some of the key like moral systems or, or moral like principles, values that your mother instilled in you? Now, I know you said the work ethics, you right. know what I'm saying? But like, I know you talked about, you know, being independent, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, uh, you know, being tough, right. you know, and things like that. So how has that impacted your life today? Um, so I, I'm still that person, right? And I think it's just a little bit more, uh, and I guess I'm more aware of, of myself. And like we were talking about this, like breaking cycles. So I'm more aware of, of my, my character, of my personality, like how what things I should stop or I catch myself if I'm angry, you know, um, to to evaluate or, you know, to pause and think about my, my reactions to things. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you can always improve, right? There's nowhere else to go but up. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, my mom, you know, to make sure I have a good character, she says sometimes like I'm grossera, you know, <laughs> I'm rude or I'll say certain things, you know, yeah, joking yeah. with my mom, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you even talked about your posture, the way yeah. that, you know, she taught you how to always. be Always, I don't know about like... everybody else, but I remember, um, you know, we're, we're Catholic, so my mom always put that on us too, when we would be in line for communion, I was teenage, if I was slouching. She'd always be behind me, and I always always try to get her to go in front of me, but she wouldn't. She'd always be behind me, and my mom always has her nails done, so she would be get real close behind me, and she'd put her nail in my back, and she'd be like, "Stand straight," and I'd be like, "Oh, stop!" Like you know, teenager like this. I was like in jeans and an Aslan T-shirt, and my mom's like behind me poking me, so I was my posture would be straight. Your yeah. Pull your ears. Yeah. Man, I remember the Aslan T-shirts, man. They were sweet. They always yeah. had all that. Mashika, Azteca, yeah, I, my mom would want me to wear like something nice or wear a dress to church, and I would be like, "No," but I was like, "Tiene la Virgen," you know, it has a it has a Christ on it. Like, I'm gonna wear this to church, mom. What's wrong with this? So, I got away with um, wearing my Aslan T-shirts to to me, mm -hmm. <laughs> So, um, did you got siblings as well? Yeah, I have I have older siblings. I have brothers. Okay, older yeah. brothers. So you're the baby then? Yes, I am the baby. Okay, so uh, what was your relationship like we with your brothers? Baby. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of age gap between us, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I know like one of the reasons I was a tomboy, so like, I had the influence of my brothers, right? I, that's all I could see was my brothers and their friends. Uh, they roughened me up. So apparently I was a bully when I was a child as well. I mean, I kind of still, <laughs> um, and I think that's where, where, um, my rebelness or like, you know, I'm not going to let no man talk to me in a certain way or act a certain way because my brothers put that in me, right? Mm -hmm. I remember my the youngest of the three, when I was like 16 or 17, he would randomly attack me. 
and he would pin me against the wall and he'd be like, how are you going to get out of this? If some guy, if you were at a party and some dude did this to you, how would you get out of it? And I'd have to fight him off. And so like, mm. you know, they always put me. Wow. So always... they really put you through some physical training. <laughs> they did. Physical courses. They did. Huh? There was only one time that my mom made him get off me because I couldn't, I couldn't get out of the situation and it kind of hurt me. Um, but yeah, so I'm always like, you know, ready, you know, I'm very vigilant where we are. And, and, and it sucks because as women, we kind of have to have that as an instinct, right? Because, right. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's people or, you know, I don't want to put you guys out there, but men who, you know, think they can, you know, hurt us or take advantage or be more than us, overpower us. And so my brother's always taught me to, you know, to defend myself and fight for, for myself. So. Yeah. Like growing up, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot of domestic violence and yeah. it's very common, you know, yeah. and, but back in them days, like I say, you don't ask questions, you don't talk, you don't repeat what you can see in the house, none of that type of stuff. But I'll tell you what now, since I've been home, it seemed like the tables and turned because women done got the hammer and shit out these guys. <laughs> I just talked to some guys like, man, yeah. beat the shit out of me, bro, yeah. bust my head. And I said, damn, I was like. I was joking not that long ago. Um, for those of you who who watch like the Jenny Rivera novella, like you know she went to jail too. She she busted up his stuff too. You know she fought for herself, and it was funny because I was like, look, I was like, but she actually got arrested. You know I didn't, mm. but <laughs> you know so yeah. But to always uh, um defend yourself and you know stand mm -hmm. your ground and stick up for yourself because if there's if it's just you, you know you gotta take care of yourself. Has a man ever hit you? Um, I have, yes. I yeah. have had incidents when we've gotten physical, yes. Yeah. Yes. So you got physical, though. It wasn't yes. just... No, know, because I, I mean, no me dejé, right? I didn't let myself. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and I mean, I'm assuming you learned something from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Toxic situations, you know, certain red flags. Because sometimes we know better and we don't show better. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and that's... And like the name of the show is Real Everyday People yeah, because our stories are learn, real, right? we, you know, and, you know? And, and that's why I want people to be honest because that's the only way we're going to be able to move forward because right. somebody needs to hear it. You right. know what I mean? We're, for me, from you. Right. We're very smart, but like, you know, nos hacemos los pendejos. Like we're very stupid too, you know, because there's moments like, and, and things happen and you're like, I knew better. You know, I would tell myself, mm -hmm. but um, like I said, it, it happens because of the cycles or either mm -hmm. we saw these relationships or, you know. You have issues with your your siblings or your parents and their traumas that you know mm -hmm. allow you to be like this is okay because i already lived this kind of thing mm -hmm. but until you you reach a certain point to be like no we're breaking these cycles and no more yeah. you know and that's why i would think too after men like would get intimidated by me because i wouldn't take you know any crap yeah. you know i would cut them off quickly you know or you know i was you know be a little mean and they'd get upset i was like well no yeah. you know you're not gonna tell me <laughs> how to react or how i should feel about a cer certain situation you know what was your relationship like with your father Ooh. so that's another reason so my mother always said i'm uh, i'm very stubborn and i'm very like my father my father my so, father yeah like my father, <laughs> my father. <laughs> um very proud man but he's a very hard worker he always had like my brothers and i working uh since i was younger you know when i got a little bit older maybe i didn't like him so much because i i didn't get what i would want right i was a brat in a sense but you know my parents uh kind of molded me that way so but then growing up as a teenager had like you know some issues some resentment because you know i was just kind of like him and so mm -hmm. when he would try to yell at me or tell me something, then here comes, you know, like what my mom said, I would stick up for myself and tell my dad, like, no, I'm not doing this or no, don't talk to me Ooh, this way. Yeah. And so it was always like we always butted heads until I was about a teenager until mm -hmm. my early 20s when I actually like left the house. So. But, you know, I, I, you know, I love my father, though. He's funny. Um, we've had good times. I do, you know, um, appreciate that he taught us how to work, at least, you know. What kind of man was he? Mm, he was a worker, right? Um. Mexican, I, I, I don't want to say Mexi typical Mexican dad, but maybe from like, you know, that time, right? You know? Like Selena's dad? Maybe, maybe a little <laughs> bit. He was strict. I mean, yeah. I know he was strict with me and my brothers to a sense, like there was a big gap between us. So I don't know how my brothers fully grew up, grew up with my parents, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, my experience uh, with my father. But to the day, I know like, you know, we still talk to each other. My dad, he retired like 20 some years ago, but then started his own landscaping company. So he has that so if you're out in down river you need some uh landscaping azteca land service 
I stick our lawn service. Check them out. LA Landscaper LLC. So, you know, we're yeah. going to keep it all in the fair. So, we're going to get the job done in know, one way or the other. He does good work, and that's what he likes to do. You know, he's he wasn't one to sit down because he retired for a few months, and he couldn't. He couldn't be at home and just, like, go to the gym and chill or mm. take vacations. He had to be doing something. And I think to a point where, like, my mom didn't want him to work on the house anymore. <laughs> like, you know, she told him, okay, you know, go mm. start your business. So you yeah. ended up graduating. What did you, you were you graduated from Dearborn High? Yeah, I graduated from Annapolis uh, High School in 2004. Okay. So yeah. where did you where did you take off from there? Like what's your life looking like after graduation? Um so that summer was kind of wild. Uh <laughs> I turned 18 <laughs> that summer. Um I I feel I went through situations that taught me who certain friends were and who weren't. And then uh, in that August, that September, I enrolled into Henry Ford Community College. It was HFCC at the time. So, and I enrolled to do some criminal justice courses because that was my plan uh, to study. Okay. So what got you into that field? The criminal justice. Mm -hmm. So I took criminal justice when I was in high school. And I always kind of liked it when I was younger. And they always said I was like uh, good at arguing and getting my way in certain things. I could be a lawyer. I liked uh, the police stations, uh, TV shows, right? I grew up watching like the A-Team and like Hawaii Five-O with my parents and stuff. <laughs> Hawaii Five-O. Yeah, and I wanted to be a police officer. I really did for a mm. while. And then until I was a teenager, I, I decided against that uh, decision to become a police officer. But I still wanted to study the field. What made you What made you change your mind? So for the police officer, well, there was a few. Uh, what, my main one was I'm the only daughter. And okay. I wanted to work in the city of Detroit, and I knew that, you know, it's a possibility, you know, you could die any day. You can mm -hmm. get shot and get killed on, on line of duty. And I I felt like if I had a sister, I would have, like, really, really want to proceed it. Mm -hmm. And I, because I, I, I couldn't, like, I don't know, I, like, you know, saw in the future, if that was ever to happen, how devastated my family would be, because I was the only daughter. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why I decided not to go to into the to police force. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um... So when you were younger, like what what um what kind of crowd did like and when you were in college and graduating from high school, like what kind of crowd were you hanging out with? So I was a little chola. <laughs> okay. I still have my tendencies. Uh, so I did grow up um, in my southwest side. Uh, I hung out with some gangsters out there um, back in the twenties. Who were you hanging out with? So I I was hanging out with some Sudanians back then. So, okay. Uh, All right. Yeah, and then in Dearborn Heights, which was funny, I hung out with, like, the bad white kids from my school, and, like, some of them are associated with Crips. So I was, like, just rocking so blue. Been banging I was, blue forever. I was. Then, huh? okay. I was. So, yeah, and, you know, that that was the lifestyle I had at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and I identified with it, and I, I was rolling with it, so. Okay. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about maybe the good or the bad hanging out, you know, with, you know, with the Sureños. Like, what did they do for you? You know what I'm saying? That made you, you know, gravitate towards them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, so when I was younger, it was actually because I um, kind of fell in love with one when I was like 14. So it was kind of like a, a, a mini pendejada, right? Uh, you know, it happens, right? We fall in love and we do go whatever lifestyle and we do crazy things. And then I just made a lot of friends with them. And then we would just hang out at the time. Um, until I got older, you know, I did some tagging and stuff like this, but I didn't really get too, too, too involved, um, mm -hmm. in my, my teenage years. So, and I also like hung out with people from the youth group at church. So it was kind of funny cause I was playing like, I was you on was both sides. Role, I was, yeah, it was both sides, playing of the coin. Both sides of the fence. and it, but it worked for me at the time, you know, mm -hmm. people knew and they accepted it and that's how, that's how it was. Mm -hmm. so. so what, what transition, what happened? What is it that you went through that kind of disconnected you from, you know, hanging out with the gang members and, you know, just that whole lifestyle? There was a, a summer, there was like a big raid um, at one of the houses we used to hang out with. And so I lost a lot of contact. But I still have a few close friends, you know, some good homies. So shout out to my homies out there. Uh, and then just lost contact with everybody else. And then I, I just focused on school. And like at that time, too, I was like hanging out with people at the youth group. And then again, I fell in love with someone else. And so then I stayed. I stayed there. Mm hmm. And you talked about how some of them, you know, end up getting locked up. Yeah. Some of them end up getting deported. deported yeah. You know, so. And then at that time, we didn't, I didn't have a cell phone like how we have it now. So mm -hmm. it wasn't like I had everybody's number and I could text them and see what happened or anything like that. So and it just like, kind of let it fade. But I still held like my cholanes or like my character because mm -hmm. I, I still I still do it to the day. So, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. <laughs> 
So um, after you were able to break away from that, um, from that lifestyle, um, were you in school at the time as well? Yeah, I was going to Henry Ford uh, Community College. Okay, at while the time. this was all happening. Yeah. All right. So you yeah. were straddling the fence then. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. They used okay. to make fun of me because I I would hang out with them, but I was studying to be a lawyer, and you know. <laughs> At that time, I would joke, be like, you know, I already know where everybody lives. And at the same time, you know, like, you know, I could, you, you can hire me in the future kind of thing, too. So, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You, it was going to come to you to get all Yeah, I mean, that was cases. the plan, but it didn't go that way. But, you know. Yeah. So you ended up getting a degree in it then? Yeah. After a long time, though. So um, I tried to finish school within 10 years. It was really hard uh, working, you know, living by myself or with roommates and trying to get that together. So I finally actually got my degree from U of M Dearborn. About three, four years ago now, 2017, in criminal justice, I got my bachelor's, but it was a long journey to to complete that. A long four years for that degree, for sure. No doubt yeah. about it, man. And um, that requires so much time and energy and yeah. patience yeah. and all of that. Hope. You know? Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I went I went and I did a semester when I got home. You know, I went to uh, WCCCD. And um, I went there because I just wanted to make all the right decisions after I came home. And uh, so I went to school and I liked it because I, while I was in prison, I became very studious. I love to read. I love to write. I love to take notes, all that good stuff. But, you know, times have changed, you know. And when I got there, like, I didn't realize, um, you know, how overwhelming it can be. Yeah. It can be stressful, you know, especially when you got to have reports. And, and and if you're going, like, to college, like, full-time or even part-time is, is stressful, you know. And But the most stressful part was, for me, was um, technology. Yeah. I was I was illiterate, <laughs> technology illiterate, you know. And, and they're like, well, you got to put your reports on the laptop and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, oh, Lord. And it was to the point, like, it would literally frustrate me. I'd start sweating when I had to deal with technology yeah. and that's one of the things that the DHDC helped me you know get back on track with even even with this pandemic you know what I mean technology yeah it's yeah. a big gap and especially in our communities of like color and our immigrant communities right I didn't I didn't really grow up having a computer computer I wasn't allowed to so like mm -hmm. my team knows I'd be like I don't know how to use this program I'm not very good at word and stuff I know like the super basics but Mm -hmm. um, because too, I, I grew up without it, you know. Yeah. And it is a little tricky because even when I went back, I went back as a an adult to to college to university, and I struggled a little bit with using their new you know ways to upload videos or upload mm -hmm. the documents, and you have to put them in this file at this time and check this and that, and so. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was it was a it was a struggle, but it was yeah, worth I it. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet. I want to thank everybody for staying tuned in for tuning in. I appreciate everybody sharing and subscribing. Thank you very much. So um, we were talking with Ophelia. She was telling us a little bit, a lot of bit about her life, yes. you know. And, um, <laughs> you know, so we got Sandy here. Uh, like I said, she's another one of my coworkers. And she's going to share some information with you guys pertaining to the community and tell you a little bit about the work that we do. So go ahead, Sandy. Why, thank you. So thank you so much, Eladio. I hope you guys can hear me. He was worried about my mask. Um, let me know if you can't hear me in the chat. But... So pretty much what I'm here to tell you about is why you should care about redistricting. Um, have you heard about redistricting? Do you know um, what it is? Do you know what it is? Do you know how it affects your life? Um, so my name is Sandy Gaitan. I work with the Detroit Hispanic Development Corporation, and it's also known as DHDC. I'm really thankful to Eladio and Ophelia for allowing me some time on their set to kind of, you know, just talk about why this is an important issue. So. Um, so I work at DHDC, like I said, and I work with Eladio. He is my coworker. Um, and, you know, it's a community center that kind of just focuses on uh, assisting the community in reaching their goals and providing access to anything that they don't have access to. That includes, like, language access. It includes policy work. It includes, you know, youth development. It just encompasses a, a big range of uh, services, but also... Um, I work in the community organizing and advocacy department, and this is my coworker, Ophelia, and of course, Eladio with the youth department. COA, what up? I actually hey. started with the youth department. I want you to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I started with the youth department, okay. and I actually started there um, just teaching the kids, like, basic, like, uh, music theory and ear theory, and then uh, just, you know, things that, like, are great for them. Also, like, break dancing. Um, it was a, it was an amazing you know experience. I'm really grateful for it. And like DHCC is just like 
been helping the community for a really long time. Uh, I think they're going on 22 years now. So yeah. shout out to our ED, Angela Reyes. She is an amazing gem. Um, just providing access and all types of, uh, you know, opportunities for the community. So I'm really grateful to her. Um, we're working, actually, I'm in a cohort with the Michigan uh, Nonprofit Association, which is MA. And uh, we got together with them to kind of start, you know, letting the people know about redistricting. So redistricting is, you can take it back to the census. Every 10 years, they draw the districts out for like, so the district, the voting district that you're in was drawn out by a politician before. Um, in 2018, shout out to the voters of 2018. They actually voted in Prop 2. If you don't know what Prop 2, Prop 2 was pretty much uh, voters over politicians, which means that they took the power away from politicians to have a partisan advantage over you and you and everybody in this room and myself um, to kind of dictate what it is, who, you, who you're represented by, what district you're in, all types of stuff, right? So if you talk about the census, the census happens every 10 years. And unfortunately, this time around, uh, we might actually lose a rep. Um, we might lose one because we are severely undercounted. And I mean, we as in like the Latino population, Southwest Detroit specifically, was severely undercounted this year with the census. Um, so as I was going back to voters over politicians, Prop 2, came in in 2018 because like 61% of all of the voters in Michigan, including independents, Republican and Democratic, they all voted to take that power away from politicians and hand it over to the voters, right? Mm -hmm. They created a commission where 9,000 people applied to be a part of this commission. And by the way, they're, they're paying you 50K now. So if you look into that and like you have that time, because a lot of these people have jobs, like full-time jobs, and they're doing this on the side, they're getting paid now 50k to be what? able to be a part of that commission that so shout out to them you know they're they're out there um what they have to do though their their job is pretty much to learn about you to learn about your community and kind of like create these like maps that politicians used to create for us all the time right um so if you know about gerrymandering right like uh they used to do these like crazy looking uh maps like they draw them out like snakes or if you remember like in uh, civics, in your civics course growing up, it was kind of like the salamander, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so what that did was pretty much just create an advantage that safeguarded their, their win in any election. Okay. Um, and so now what the commission is tasked with is to create these commission or these districts that represent you and all of the communities of interest. Communities of interest can be like, for example, people that come together over their school districts. It could be people that come together over cultural or um, like geographical mm -hmm. um, interests. Um, it could also be like, for example, if you guys know about PFAS, I don't know if you understand what PFAS is, but pretty much it's, it's like this toxic chemical that used to be a part of everything. It's in a lot of our lakes and a lot of our waters. And what it's doing is that it's seeping into the ground because there there aren't enough regulations that can keep like corporations and places like that from spewing out these chemicals, right? So they're seeping into the ground. And say, for example, if we own a house by a lake, you would want PFAS to not be in your water, like period. PFAS is not good, right? So that's a community of interest. What is PFAS actually? So, uh, you know, it's, it's very lengthy. I, I understand that it's a toxic chemical. I don't know the technicalities around like okay. the science All and right. stuff, but if you look PFAS, you will understand what it is. You can look into it. It's like a whole <laughs> a whole oh, thing on yeah. its own. That's like environmental justice. Okay, yeah. problem, isn't it? Yes. So so what I can tell you though, what it looks like. So if you're ever out in the lake, let's say you're kayaking or you're just oh, out there with your family, um, and you see that like white foam that just kind of like you know gathers together at like the end of a lake like when you're pulling up or like you're going to the shore you'll notice that it's like this this white foam that's just there do not step into it and if you do just go ahead and like remove yourself and wash it off of you because that's not good for you it's that's it's that people pfas look it up um google it it's <laughs> It's a whole thing in itself. Like honestly, it's it's just too much for me right now. <laughs> but yeah, I but what, I, what what I can tell you is you don't want it in your water. And so if you live around the lake, 
you definitely want to be that would be something that would be considered a community of interest right yes um so going back to communities of interest i really want to emphasize black and brown communities you know i resonated with so much of what you guys were talking about as far mm -hmm. as like you know race and like you know consciousness and just like all of these barriers that exist for black and brown communities and also you know i really appreciated your point of view as far as like people that are allies on all types of levels just bringing back that humanity concept like absolutely. really yes. absolutely like is unifying but i did want to raise something out like you know absolutely like i feel like we need to be together in order to move forward but we cannot deny all of the systemic and just historical you know uh barriers and, and systems of oppression that like totally ravage and and just tear apart black and brown communities and just communities of uh immigrants all right yeah. like that's literally my job to talk about that every day all day so mm -hmm. like i really appreciate that vibe here it's amazing like you know um these conversations are happening a lot though yeah and i want to yes. emphasize the fact about like you know the the younger generations like back in the day you had to assimilate you had to speak english in order to survive in the u.s right mm -hmm. right I, I was born in Mexico, like, I had no understanding of colonization. I had no understanding of, like, just growing up in that, like, even being Mexican, like, what the fuck is that? Like, what what is that? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, what is Mexican? Like, you know, like, just being here, like, kind of make, makes you, like, question that. Because I grew up in Mexico till I was eight. I was brought here. I remember, like, moving here with my family. I remember, like, the whole ride here, like, just, like, was a culture shock. It was crazy, mm -hmm. like. I had to just reinvent myself, like language, culture, like the way you acted. Like I never felt like an outsider until I got to the U.S. Wow. I never felt like I didn't belong until I got here because people told me I didn't belong here. And it was insane to me. Like, mm -hmm. I was like, what do, what do you mean? I'm like a human like you, you know what I mean? Right. But like, you know, just having to learn the culture, having to learn the language, like you cannot tell me that there isn't oppressive systems that uphold white supremacy and people that benefit from white supremacy even if we don't want to admit that even if that's hard even if that's uncomfortable we have to address it and we have to talk about it because without it we cannot move on without it we cannot just rebirth the new the unified world that you talk mm -hmm. about you know what i'm saying where we acknowledge the pain and the fucking assimilation and all of that stuff you know and i don't know if i'm supposed to curse so i'm sorry but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know real everyday people you know yeah, what I'm so, uh, let's because i'm a community organizer but in, at heart i'm an artist and i just feel like we need to be able to provide all of these hard conversations through art through turning that pain into art and just being able to be open because without it, we cannot move on. We cannot move on and like, there is no like moving forward without accountability. Mm -hmm. So anyways, it all brings it back to redistricting. <laughs> so right now, you know, um, what you have to know is that this commission came together and pretty much they want to hear from you. If you don't go out and talk to them and tell them about your community interests, I'll tell you my community interest. DHCC serves the Southwest Latino population, but not only the Southwest Latino population, communities of color, right? Like we understand that we have a lot of like similarities with like communities that have immigrant communities, mm -hmm. right? And we also understand that without language access, yes. there is no, like, that's such a big barrier. Mm -hmm. I understand that firsthand because when I got here, I felt like, there was this like plastic thing in front of like COVID, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I can't reach you. I can't be myself. I can't, I, can't, I just can't, you know, you, you don't see me. Mm -hmm. And so like, as middle people, she understands, she's an interpreter, a translator. Like that's something that we absolutely like focus on at our work. Like we just want to be able to have our parents, have our grandparents be acknowledged as humans, be acknowledged as like, you know, just mm -hmm. being able to participate. And I feel like even with redistricting, all of the information that's out there, our communities suffer because we don't have that language access. And so right. therefore, mm -hmm. you know, we have to come in as like middle people and be able to provide that bridge to our community. So communities of interest for us may look like being able to understand that we need uh, our communities to be able to understood 
we need them to have bilingual education we need them to um you know be able to um like the testing that they do around bilingual education that the parents understand what that is that it's fair testing that they understand all of these things revolve around the funding of the census and mm -hmm. people were terrified of filling out the census right. this time around because of the trump administration because they literally attacked yeah. our community for four years they literally devastated our community yeah. systematically separated families they, they 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 demonized you know uh latinos calling them rapists and all types of crap that is absolutely not true and it is our job to change that narrative it is yeah. our job to make sure that these people in the commission see us because there is no like there is no uh information out there that will tell them about our issues we have to get it in their faces so i i, I want you guys to look up um it's like this long acronym name that I can't think of right now. But, you know, I'm going to come back to y'all with all of this information. I'm actually dropping all of this, like, information and on your page. You said that you have, you know, a page yeah, for, yeah. For, the, for the podcast. Yes. So I'm going to go back and just provide, like, all of these links where you can learn about redistricting as far as, like, who the commission is, who's on the commission. That I know that they meet every Thursday. Um, you can go on YouTube and like literally click on it, but they have like meetings that are like five hours long. So my job is to create a focus group with community members and to just kind of like encourage people to participate in the process. So what, what they want is to hear from you. So like the first thing is like, it's very uh, daunting, mm -hmm. you know, like do any of you guys know about redistricting? Have you heard about it? Like I'm learning about it through. Exactly. And I've learned so much through DHCC. <laughs> and it's just like, I even hot. voted for the first time in my you life. Did. You know, yeah. you know. So let's talk about that, right? Yeah. Voting matters. Yes. I know that it's not the only tool. Like, this is just for my really radical friends that are like, well, that's not the only tool, tool of oppression. Yes, I understand it. But voting is a fucking privilege. Yes. And I can yeah, tell you that firsthand as an immigrant that came here when she was eight years old and naturalized like three years ago that could not vote, that paid taxes, mm -hmm. right? My parents paid taxes. And guess what? I couldn't tell the politicians this is what the fuck it is. Because guess what? I was like a, a permanent resident card holder. And they said, your shit don't matter. You just live here and you pay taxes and we don't give a fuck about what you say. But you know what? When I like you know, became a naturalized U.S. citizen. Um, you know, the first time I ever voted was in 2018, and that was an amazing experience. Wow. Like, she remembers, like, mm -hmm. when I, like, became a citizen. Mm -hmm. um, it was this whole thing. I had to, like, change Bless my you. whole uh, driver's license to be able to vote, mm -hmm. to register to vote. Mm -hmm. And then after that, like, it's this whole process, right? Like, mm -hmm. it took that much for me I to be able to vote, where people mm -hmm. take it for granted and then talk shit about it. Like, look, it's just one tool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's crazy i got my driver's license for the first time in my life as and that's well amazing. so there's yeah, a lot of amazing. first time things that happen yeah, in my absolutely. life you know you know um, when i first got yeah. home i had purchased a shirt that said um if you change nothing nothing will change exactly and i always liked that uh that quote that also said um be the change that you want to see yeah mm -hmm. and i felt like it was important for us to be able to cultivate in our our new generations and in the youth about putting themselves thinking about the future and putting themselves in in in, in positions where they have a voice to speak on behalf of their communities you know what i mean and i learned that while i was in prison because um you know everything in prison when i went there was predominantly black black ran everything from the front to the back mm -hmm. and uh the store list had a lot of items the movie the movie uh, um um request that we got like everything was to accommodate the black population mm -hmm. in there and i'm like hey man like we want some pork rinds on the store list well muslims don't eat pork i said well not everybody's a muslim you know latinos right. eat pork i know a lot of blacks they eat, they eat and get anything changed is by putting myself in that position right. like i know that a lot of you know a lot of uh, uh younger generation including my generation that grew up like nobody wanted to be a cop you know what i'm saying nobody wanted to be a police right. you know the only time we wanted to be a lawyer was if we got caught we needed a good lawyer you know what i'm saying but at the end of the day we need to start encouraging 
our our people, our youth, and ourselves to get involved, to go be an officer. If you yes. want to see change in the community, go be an officer. You want to see change in the justice Run system, go be a prosecutor, go be an attorney, go be a judge, go be a doctor. If you want to see change in your community, these are things that you have to do and put yourself in a position. Go yes. be a mayor, go be a representative, go be a commissioner, you know. Uh, my mother, she just got a, a a position in Lincoln Park, man. Hey, she just got her badge and everything. Mom. Linda Romero, you shout on deck, mom. Yeah, for real, That's what man. I had said, like, when I was doing other stuff and thinking in the future, like, if I really want to help people, like, I, unfortunately, in a sense, like, I have to go get my degree. I got to finish my school for me to be able to continue to help people how I wanted to help them. Like, I had to push forward to, to get that done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you know the, the 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 work that we do is just amazing, man. You know I we do diaper distribution for the community once a month. You know we recently even got cut off. Did we get cut off from Detroit? Was Detroit diaper bank? Yeah, Somebody no, cut us okay. off. Okay, we're gonna you know try to get. A but we're still gonna hold it down. DHC yeah. still well, gonna we'll hold it down. We're gonna take community. care of ours regardless. But they're cutting off our resources though. You know. Yes. So real quick, I found it right. So. If you just want quick info about uh, the Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission, it's so long, I'm sorry, it's the ITRRC, um, Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission. If you type that in, um, the Secretary of State has the special like site for it where it will tell you all about it, what you need to know about, even if you like put it on YouTube, um, that will help you because like, they have the meetings on there. Um, you can actually attend their meetings. Like if you go on YouTube and uh, find their information, but don't worry, I'll drop all of this information on his page. Like, you know, we once we're, we're done with this, uh, we'll put it on there. Uh, that's another thing I want to talk about. Like usually these opportunities come really late to our community. There are little hiccups that are are, are on our way right now. So for example, um, the, the census process was really affected by um COVID last year right so because of that they were supposed to receive the information from the census in february and that actually is not coming back until um september which really affects the timeline for the commission because literally right now what we're supposed to be doing is just like you know uh recruiting people to be able to to go and testify what they want to do is like i said hear from you right so what everything that we just talked about would mean would mean that we would have to get together with everyone who has the common interest to be able to, um, you know, just get together and say, hey, you know, for example, for immigrant communities, we would advocate for language access. We would advocate for like bilingual education. We would advocate for things like, you know, uh, staff that spoke Spanish in their community districts. Um, just language, linguistic justice all around. And mm -hmm. so the other thing would be... Um, Even financial literacy. Yeah, stuff financial, just things about. that are not available. So what I want you to understand is pretty much like before people used to define, be able to define who you were, right? Like they used to be able to tell you like, this is what it is and this is who you are. And even if you live on the same district or like, for example, the, 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 the very best thing that I can bring up right now is 48210 was cracked. Um, 48210 is predominantly immigrant, right? Like black and brown, also, uh, you know, Arabic. Like we have a big, um, I think it's Bengali community right at the border along like Dearborn. Mm -hmm. um, and what they did, yeah, like all types of people, right? Like that, that, are, that are community interests as far as like the immigrant aspect of it comes into play. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, um, and for, I forgot when it was like exactly, like, it was a few years ago. Um, maybe it was the last census, or or even further than that. Um, they they actually split forty eight two ten into two uh, parts, so it's two districts. So if you think about forty eight two ten being predominantly, um, you know, black and brown or immigrant community, and what they did was that that they split that they split them. What that meant for politicians was that they were able to crack that district, and they were able to say that whether it was this party or that party, um, you know, it, it benefited them. So so if it's like a district that's benefiting to them, it wouldn't include the other part of 48210. And so that's a problem because even though you're in the same place, you relate to the same issues, you can't, you're not voting for the same representative. So someone who may not have your ideals, who may not understand your needs, who may not even care about your needs, maybe 
representing you when in reality that's not what you need and so voters over politicians what it does is that it gives that power back to you to be able to say uh this is what i need but they need to hear from you because if they don't hear from you what we're going to do is create a focus group so if you guys are on facebook you can actually go to detroit hispanic development corporation and send a message and just like kind of say hey i'm interested in redistricting what's next and what we're going to do is we're actually creating a campaign around it to be able to uh, bring this information to you, to bring you along. Uh, redistricting can be daunting as far as like the, the depth and like everything that it has. But all it boils down to is the fact that you understand what your needs are. And even if you're not from Southwest anymore, maybe you grew up there. Maybe you have people that live there. Maybe you relate to like the issues that are there. Maybe you have the same issues in your community now. Like, you know, you just have to uh, be able to be a part of it because... If you're not a part of it, somebody is going to dictate who's going to represent you, what kind of access you're going to have to services, what kind of like money you're going to have access to, like as far as like community resources. I was going to ask that. How does it impact the communities financially? Can yeah. we break it down like that? Absolutely. I'm assuming you're getting less financial help. Or... So, so with the fact that we may lose a, a congressional seat um, or a representative this, this, you know, with the census that just went by, it depends what re what district that's going to impact and then the way that like the, the redistricting or the, the redrawing of the maps uh, will impact each community, right? But, but what that means is pretty much if we have one less representative, what that means is we're going to get less, uh, uh, less of an opportunity to put our information out there and to say this is what we need, right? We have one less person that's able to speak that for us. And uh, it's really important because, I mean, honestly, like we're already struggling as it is. Like we don't have enough resources in our, in our schools. Like even in Michigan, Michigan's education is so far behind. Like it's just mm -hmm. <laughs> we're failing. We're failing our, our future. If you care about your kids, if you care about like people don't understand the census because it's, it's been 10 year like that's a long time you know it's a whole decade and like mm -hmm. the census really does impact you if you don't fill it out that means you're that you're not being counted which means that you don't exist and if you understand that the trump administration did everything in their power to be able to take that away from our community latinos period you know what i'm saying we have the the threat of a citizenship question we have a threat of like them trying to like say that you know you couldn't count like uh undocumented uh like household and or or you know just immigrants and then the other thing was right now i think the reason why we're getting late was because of a challenge that like you know they had fought through or whatever but mm -hmm. we're supposed to get it in like september that really sets you back on the timeline for the redistricting commission it really does because like you're not like even right now you guys hearing about it in march it's like there you have to understand that there's communities out there that have the money that mm -hmm. have like all of these groups behind them and that's like so the redistricting commission cannot take like um you know groups that are are, are politically aligned mm -hmm. they, they they won't take them into consideration like mm -hmm. what proposition two did was like to take that power away from um the politicians to be able to draw maps that were like you know uh they they were able to benefit from to win an election mm -hmm. um and so like what they did was to be able to take that away and to give it back to to the community to be able to say this is what i need this is what i want like you know what i mean um but they they can't they won't put that together without community input so what we're gonna have to do is just kind of like continue to talk about it think about this as a putting it in your mind if you will kind of thing um just kind of like you know putting it on your radar and to be able to say that that more is coming um what is it that they can do about it though like what is it that they can do to help you so, know yes. i know being knowledgeable is one thing yeah, so but... the first thing is to look up redistricting in michigan mm -hmm. there's actually great videos out there by u of m um that will tell you all about it that will like you know they have experts talking about this but the other thing is if you want to know more and want to be a part of a focus group um, you can also hit us up. Uh, like I said, go to Detroit Hispanic Development Corporation, like our page while you're already there, and then send us a message and just say, hey, I'm interested in redistricting. What's next? I want to be a part of the process. What we're trying to do is get people to become aware of it and then also to be a part of that process by uh, keeping up with it, right? right. There's supposed to be several um, public meetings or committee meetings that are going to come up. Um, and then officially getting you ready for uh, testifying.
So pretty much what we would do is get you together with like people that have the same interest in you where you live. And then from there to be able to say, um, you know, this is a community of interest. This is what they represent and this is what they need for their community, whatever community you belong to. And then from there to like the end, the end product would be to get you to testify. Because if you don't get in front of them, if you don't tell them about yourself and your family and your community, they're not going to know about you and other communities are going to get to do that. There's there's plenty of wealthy communities all over the state of Michigan that absolutely are doing this to be able to get all of the resources from, you know, financial help to their schools, to their communities, resources, like just on every single level systematically that there is like they're they're going to receive that money. And what 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 that means for us is that we're not going to that we're still excluded, that we're still not a part of that process because there's language barriers, because there's educational barriers, because there's just lack of information, there's lack of participation because you weren't allowed to be a part of that process. And I think that's bullshit, you know, you should totally get out there and be able to say that. And so if you send us a message, um, what we'll do is we'll hook you up. We'll also get you like all the information, all the videos that you need to be able to, you know, catch up with what's happening. Um, you could totally attend the meetings while they're happening. They happen live. Either do they on give YouTube this information at town hall meetings as well? Or so no? what we're trying to do, actually, what we're interested in doing, uh, going back to like language access, is um, being able to have one of their um, public meetings, but for our Latino community, where like we're able to provide Spanish translation or some type of like you know. Um, because how, how else would our community know about it? Like mm. we're doing the part where we're letting you know about it by like. We're doing this here now. I'm also going to like pop into like Spanish radio stations and say all of this in Spanish and mm -hmm. like be able to get it out there, you know? That yeah. is la redistribución de distritos or something like that, you know? <laughs> um, to be able to get that information out there and just kind of like get it in your mind. Like if you don't define who your community is and what the interest Think, like what things you're interested in somebody will do it for you right somebody will tell you who who represents you and and will totally like be glad to take that away from you um so yeah that's pretty much the spill like you know just like mm -hmm. a redistricting 101 um just pretty much to get information out there and then hopefully you know further down the line we can like invite you guys again maybe you'll let me like you know come on again and just kind of like tell you the next steps where the next time you the... come on you'll be able to share your story yeah and, and, <laughs> and some more information and your knowledge yeah for and sure. all that good stuff for sure know? for sure yeah but this is the kind of work that we do at the dhdc you know yeah, that's part of it you know like yeah. the other thing is uh just voting uh i want to say there are some primaries coming up yeah. i'm trying to remember when the date is for the primaries so the... there's some in may uh i want to say may 4th but it depends on your city, right? And then in August, yeah, I'm thinking like for specifically. I think it's August third, and then the elections are November, November third mm -hmm. or November fourth. Mm -hmm. And then just like you know, uh, if you're not registered to vote, make sure that you get registered. We can to register vote. you. It's so much easier to get registered to vote now. You can do it online, uh, especially with like COVID happening and like all all of the stuff that you know is going on. Um, I think the other thing is just like very importantly for like people that don't have their citizenship yet to go ahead and like get started on that process. Like especially now that like the the Trump administration's out, like you know, uh, so many barriers may have been removed. And honestly, it, it will be the best because it will be just one more tool that you can use to like advocate for your, for your community. Right. If you're a child of an immigrant, please get out there. Like these decisions. Think about the kids that can't do that for themselves. Think about the parents that can't do that for themselves. Just think about like the community that we come from and our roots and just like how all of these things, that's when white privilege and like all of this stuff like comes out because like, why are we being treated that way? You know what I'm saying? It's like this big topic. It's this big thing. I understand it's hard to talk about, but like you cannot deny all of the ways that our people are, are being oppressed. You know, and like, I'll leave you guys with that. Um, I think it's it's ongoing. I feel like we, we I'm proud of us as a generation also, because we come from like parents that had to be forced to be assimilated. And us, we're like, yeah, I'm proud of being Mexican and I'm proud of being American and what, right? Like, mm -hmm. let's talk about it. Let's mm -hmm. have this dialogue, you know? Yeah, and, no doubt about and it. And I'm for those conversations, you know, and then just like further- um, Engagement. Just, yeah, engagement, for exactly. Sure.
So thank you so much. Sandy, for thank you me to so be much here. for thank that. You. Yeah, that's dope. Um, so getting back to Ophelia, um, um, she 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 you got your own radio station, right? Or so it's you... not like my own, but I am part of a, a radio. Okay. Part a radio, of it. Yeah, you got in on it. Your station. name on it. Yes. Um. Uh. Cruce del Barrio. We're on Cave Radio, so you can look at for us on CRBRadio.com or Cave Radio Broadcasting app. We're on Fridays and every other Saturday, so we should be on this Friday, ten to two a.m. So we're late night because we have people on the West Coast that listen in. So what is it? What kind of music do you play? Or so what, we what, play what, a lot what, of oldies. So anything like prior nineties, eighties, seventies, sixties, a bunch of different types of music. Right? I've learned I've learned new artists, and I've actually put names to songs that I already knew, but I didn't know who the artists were. So it's mm. like it's a good vibe. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I always do a part, a show and tell piece, and I always ask my guests if they can bring something of sentimental value and share a story with it. So um, would you be willing to, you know, share your item and your story? Yeah, so it's not much like a that someone gave it to me. I actually bought it myself, but it means something very much to me. So there are some photos, and I didn't get to say much of it. So these are my dancing shoes. So I dance Floclorico Mexicano. So I dance Mexican folk dancing with ballet, folklorico, moyocoyani, set. So these are my shoes. And, <clears throat> excuse me, they're a sentimental value because I've danced for over, like, 25 years. Uh, part of my culture, right? It's my roots. I love it. And this pair actually was a new pair that I had to buy because we had a concert about, like, six years ago now. And I had just ordered new shoes. And my pity liked how they smelled. And she chewed my new shoes two weeks before our concert. <laughs> and I have never been more devastated in my life. Yeah. And uh, I've had I've had dresses who have gone missing or that were stolen too. So like when you said sentimental value, I was thinking about like I was like, I have Harry Potter stuff. But like if anything was to happen in my shoes or my dancing gear, like I would be devastated. So mm -hmm. um and it means a lot to me, right? Um I I transfer my roots, my my culture. Uh, I was actually even able to see you perform when they yes. had the gala at DHDC. Yeah, we performed at three And there was two groups. Night. One was from Nayarit, right? One was from So Nayarit. it wasn't two groups. It was two different sets, two states. It's the same group. So um, okay. and Mexico has 32 states. And in every state, they have different customs, different um, different dresses, different ways that they dance, different mm -hmm. styles. And we represent all those. So um, I, what, what were the two states that were there that day? I think we did Jalisco and Nayarit. So Jalisco is more, uh, well, more well known, right? Like maybe like the Mexican hat dances, the charros, um, the big dresses with colors. A lot of that's more um, people relate that more to to folklorico, but there's so many, so much more uh, mm -hmm. to that. But yeah. Nayarit, are they the ones that was had the knives? Yeah, so Nayarit. Them boys, they, I was like, Lord, they put a cut a finger, a hand, something. And I was the real, like, the real machete is. We they were throwing them and dancing yes. and everything. I yes. said, they, them ninjas photos. for real. Yeah, so that's how these go. Some photos um, that I had sent in. I'm yeah. dancing. We didn't uh, perform this year because of COVID, but we're going back to practice. Did you ever get to perform at Heart Plaza when they used yes, to do that? Um, actually, Heart Plaza was one of my first. Um, I don't know if you remember the Yakarina. Mm -hmm. yeah, right and yeah. uh memorial day weekend in may yeah. that was one of my first performances i was probably like uh nine eight or nine and uh first time i danced at her plaza i was about that age too and that was the biggest crowd and i remember i got stage fright real quick because i had never <laughs> seen so many people before like watching us like we're little we're like the little kid group dancing and mm -hmm. after that like it was just a whole vibe and the festivals at Heart Plaza were amazing, you know. Who got you into dancing? My mom did. My mom. Um, in Mexico, it's custom, too. Maybe you, you did, like, kind of some dances when, in school. Uh, so, like, in Mexico, early, sometimes, early yeah, like, in elementary school, it's custom to, to learn to dance and to learn about the traditions. Sandy said she said some dancing, too. She wasn't doing the Mexican dancing, but she was, <laughs> oh, she was great dancing, yeah. She was a big girl. Huh? Yeah. And, like, my brothers danced, too, so it just came, it, it trickled down. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, that's, yes. that's that's very cool, man. I, I really, we really appreciate you coming here. And I appreciate sharing being invited. Thank you so much. Is this the one you cut a piece out? No, there? I couldn't find that one. I did cut a piece out. Man, I'm looking at them shoes. You know, remember that commercial when they was upstairs? The whole family was clogged. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Um, cause I, I, I've been dancing since before I can walk, I can say. So, so you were in a fraternity? So? Yeah, I am in a fraternity. I'm in a Latino co-ed fraternity at uh, U of M Dearborn. Alpha Psi Lambda. Okay, then. With y'all dance and do signs and shit? Stop. Well, they, they, they do step. Um, we have to work on it, but they have been. <laughs> okay. Uh, I just be seeing the movies, so I yeah. think they all be like, bah, 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 bah. It's a lot harder than what people might think. To, to memorize or to memorize certain steps and like hand movements and claps and stuff yeah. but it's, it's fun when we, when we get it together this has been an episode of real everyday people part of the el nino podcast check out the el nino podcast live on facebook every monday night at 9 p.m eastern And for full episodes, the El Nino podcast is available on Facebook and YouTube.